0: Once again, we're recording and we've named our podcast uh, The Old School, is that right? We've settled on that? I believe so, yes. Okay. Um, So with The Old School, this topic uh, kind of fits, it's it's something we talk about probably far too often because it, it aligns with that idea of the old school, but technology, and we've decided to talk about instructional technology, technology in schools rather than um, broader technology. So
1: um, you could have called this podcast, Grumpy Old Men. Grumpy Old Men, that's probably correct. Um, I know that's taken.
0: There was a movie by that name. I think you're right. Um, I'm just grumpy right now. I noticed so. that I, I've all, always said that I like you when you're grumpy. or a whole lot
1: more interesting problem is I might have a penchant for saying something that perhaps I shouldn't have said. Oh, well, we I think that's why you like it because you get to watch a high wire act without suffering any of the consequences of it. So that's why I think you egg it on. I have a little of
0: the egging on in me. I do that. <laughs> I'm pretty much entertaining myself. Um, so why don't you jump in and give us your gripes? Because we're not here to praise technology necessarily. Um, so let, let's, let's just get it on the table and then, and then maybe we can talk about some positive aspects. It can't be all horrible, but, but uh, what, what are you thinking as far as your, your biggest issues with instructional technology?
1: Well, I don't think anybody can talk about technology and say that it's all bad. It does have its merits. The problem, my main um, complaint has to do with the idea that it seems to be a crutch. And it seems to be something that's being done. Not only is it a crutch for the teachers, but it's a crutch for the kiddos because it allows the kiddos to dive back into the culture which in which they live in damn near 24 seven, which is the phone. And so what some teachers and what some administrators have done is to say, if you really wanna reach the kids, and that's what this is about, because if you can reach the kids, you get better test scores, everybody's happy. But they say to reach the kids, you have to use technology. As if the thousands of years that came before it was somehow not applicable to modern day. That today is so unique that we need to have this technology, otherwise they won't listen to us. And that's a crock. You know, I cannot tell you how many, it doesn't happen all the time, but I've had students come up to me grateful that there is not as much technology in my classroom as opposed to others. And I think the more teachers tend to use it, I think the more students look at it in a kind of almost a frivolous, capricious sort of way. I don't think they take this stuff seriously. Because if you're sitting there playing games on computers, and I mean, again, this is not everybody's interactions with or usage of technology. But there's enough of it that I think some students are kind of pushing back a little, you know, and, and again, you know, it's just, it, it's my general perception, but one is a crutch for the teacher. It's a bailout. It's the modern day version of showing a movie, which is what they used to do. And for the kiddos, you know, they get to play on their phone for a while. I'm just not sure that's terribly instructive.
0: I think looking at, um, I guess we call it synchronous instruction, real time. Let's let's say through Zoom. Uh, right. It, it creates something kind of interesting. You know, the the students ideally have their image; they've activated their camera, but not always. I've, I've visited a lot of schools where there's just the little name of the student, and and they could be listening in, or they could have another screen where they're playing games. No one knows, and right. there's a little bit of a privacy issue where they're not going to force a student to have the camera on necessarily. Um, so do you- our school,
1: our school district demands it. Okay. Because of that reason? I think also, yes. I think that reason, not just the fact that they may be doing something else, but I think also the idea that they are, um, uh, they are, um, um, you know, they could, be, they could be outside. They could be at a bar. They could be anywhere. And so the notion that somehow just because they are, you know the the camera's not on. I mean, God knows what's happening. And so, I mean, how many times have you ever talked to a Zoom session with more than one person in it, and they don't have their cameras on? Well, I I taught um, a few um, college
0: courses, and, and both of them were essentially online for two semesters. Right. Uh, mind you, I was dealing with adults, but mm-hmm. our rule was was pretty simple: that they didn't have their camera on unless they wanted to talk. And by doing that, it's in essence raising their hand, announcing themselves, and they're kind of waiting, staring at everybody, ready to speak. Um, and that seemed to work pretty well. But the group was uh, small. I think 12 would, was uh, typical for, for both of the classes that I taught. So you can see all of them on, on, on the screen or acknowledge them. Um, but there's probably a point, you know, I mean, how many class uh, students do you have in a, in a history class? I mean, it could be as many anywhere between twenty and thirty. So, so how does that work? Can you keep track of them? Is it, or do you just talk to a few kids if that's the case?
1: There's always going to be a handful of kids that have their camera on unsolicited. Mm -hmm. But I remember during the spring, they didn't have that rule where the cameras had to be on. And the problem is, you're staring at about fifteen black boxes with white lettered names, and you've got no idea. You could be talking to people. You could be talking to stuffed animals. You could be talking to goldfish. You have no clue who the hell you're talking to because you don't, they don't have the camera on. And so it's um, you know, the, the idea that, you know, if you're if you're talking in an empty room, you know, <laughs> what are you actually doing? You know, so it's um it's a problematic kind of situation to have, I think.
0: There are some built-in analytics where you can tell how many times an individual who's on the Zoom speaks, and, and really for how long. Uh, is that something you look at, or you just note it um, to yourself, you know, who's participating and who is not?
1: I think, I think you 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 do a running tally in your head. Well, I hadn't heard from Jimmy in about a half hour. <laughs> Uh, Susie won't shut up, you know, and she keeps answering all the questions because no one else is talking. Susie's getting uncomfortable. So she's answering all the questions, but, um, and secretly you don't mind Susie doing that. Cause it's got to fill the void. It can't be you talking the whole time, but it does make you wonder just who's behind the black box with the name written on it. And chances are nobody.
0: Um, if we jump to a traditional classroom for a minute, Um, it seems like there's a lot of interaction that, that, that happens. And if a student is disengaged for, I mean, that's a real kind term. um, You can tell, (laughs) you you give them a lot of grief, you know, or you call on them or something, but you can see that they're right. um, What about, I mean, you're not dealing with any student discipline, obviously they're, they're not like chatting to each other. I guess they could be on a different screen, but could be, I mean, do you feel on some level it's, relaxing because you're just talking and uh but not having to interrupt students or redirect them
1: relaxing is not how i would phrase it no no it's not relaxing it's it's a it's annoying and because you also you all have this idea that people are listening but you have no way of verifying that you know at least in a classroom you we know, with kids in front of me i can tell which ones are drooling and which ones are you know, engaged or what have you, you're kind of forced to do so in the classroom. But on Zoom, well, hell, you know, it's just, it's. It, there's no way to kind of gauge what you're doing, how you're doing. Um, there's no way to engage whether you're being, being effective. There's no way to gauge whether you are being heard, you know, without it, you know, and I mean, here, well, I'll tell you something else. Here's another thing. I mean, even, you know, you consider Zoom now and even being able to see them and even with the kids in the classroom, we have noticed over the last couple months, a general kind of powering down. And I don't know whether the kids are just worn out and I certainly don't blame them. You know, it's, uh, it's an invisible stress. You know, there's a level of stress that goes into it no matter how devil may care you you may happen to be with regards to the virus but um but i just think the whole thing about the mask and about we got shields and we got all these things there's the the normal creative outlets both for teachers and for students are not there we got sports but as far as like clubs and things of that nature it's all virtual and it's just not striking a chord. I, I think there's no outlet. I think there's no, I think the kids are worn out and we're in February and usually this doesn't happen until about April.
0: No happens
1: yeah, Always. Um, it does happen. I think that humor for both of us
0: is really important in our teaching. I mean, maybe more so for me, cause I'm a lot uh, funnier than you are, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh the, the interaction is, is based upon laugh laughter. I mean, I, I taught German and I could tell when people were understanding me as I was speaking German because they were laughing. And that was a, a technique um that disappears here because people are muted. Um and and so you right. really have no audience uh and except for maybe the teacher if they're listening at that moment, but the mm-hmm the mute is difficult. I mean, I use the the Zoom for sales calls. I'm, I'm pitching my, my survey business and talking to people, but there's no response. And you kind of learn to, you get used to it and you just keep talking and, and you ask them to interrupt if they need to. But the lack of humor and laughter probably takes a toll. I know it would be for me if I were
1: teaching right now. And that's the other thing. I think when you ask kids to go ahead and, and, and speak up on Zoom, because I teach primarily kids in front of me, but for every class, I got a handful, I got a gaggle of folks online via Zoom. And you ask them to participate. And to do so means to one, not really have a sense of what's happening in the classroom because they can only see me, they can't see what the kids are doing. They got to unmute, they got to jump in, and they come, they come across like the voice of God over the speakers that's in the classroom. You know? <laughs> so is the answer, you know, and, and then kids, kids laugh. They they giggle because it's like having, having their buddy on the intercom system, you know? And so it, it's a, it's an awkward thing to do. And only the the most self-possessed individuals are going to speak up. And most of them just decide not to that's why i must i must say 10 times a classroom 10 times a class you folks online speak up if you got something to say anybody online have something to say yeah you know, something to that effect just to see if i can get them engaged but you don't have to you can mute you can lean back and you can let the words wash over you and you don't have to you don't have to engage now, i can force someone to but that's not that's not been my my modus operandi in the classroom with kids in front of me. I don't like do I don't like trying to make someone answer a question. Either you do or you don't, Yeah. You know?
0: but. I wonder about the results. Um, I, I, I look back to, you know, teaching these recent college courses and the students who participated knew the material better. They wrote better papers. Um, the, the other, the students who didn't participate tended to turn in their papers late if at all, and uh, the quality was was lower. Um, how are these students who are fully online, you said maybe five or six a class, how are they performing when you actually read their, their essays or their, grade their tests?
1: Well, the, the test is a different thing than the essays. And you're, you're hitting me in a sore spot because right now I'm grading essays at the moment and I'm getting angrier there. by the moment. We had this all planned. Yes. And so... Tests is one thing, and you can't help but wonder whether there's cheating going on. What? I'm shocked. Yes, shocked. (laughs) Shocked to find gambling in this (laughs) establishment. But um, And most teachers, I think, I believe most teachers feel that there is something that's happening at home. Not everybody's doing it, but there's enough to make you wonder, well, you know, little Johnny just scored a hundred on a test. Really? How's that possible? Well, Johnny never scored a hundred on a test. Then you find kids that are absent on test days and they want to pop up on the zoom to take their tests. Well, I wasn't feeling, I just wanted to be sure. So I thought I'd stay home today. Can I go and take the test online? No, you can't. And I had to put that, I had to put that rule in it because you would have kids that were, had remarkable attendance. And then on test day, you get a you get this kind of plaintive email first thing in the morning. Um, my mom didn't want me to go to school today, so I thought maybe I could just take the test online. Well, you thought wrong.
0: Well, that, that's know. standard practice. I mean, even in a fully face to face classroom, there there's a particularly for AP tests right. and, or AP classes. There's a lot of absences, and then they get a little extra time to study. They can talk to all their friends to find out what's on the test, and those are the kids who get the really high
1: GPAs. It's shady business. So when you look at it from like a like a, a, stand, a standardized kind of objective for multiple choice kind of test, that's what you're going to get. Now, the essays is a different story because, you know, I have, you know, the kids at home. I'm not sure their essays are any better, you know, and, and there certainly there certainly can be worse, though. Um, I think. I think in general, the, the results from home are doubtful.
0: Well, there certainly could be plagiarism happening. I mean, the copy and paste and rework, but I think more likely your questions are specific enough that that that's not going to be an issue or has it been?
1: Not, not this year. I mean, I've had students who had to not necessarily like an essay because essays were always something that you did in class. At least I do in in class. But, you know, those who, you know, if I had something that they had to write and turn in later, meaning they had to write it at home, they don't, you know, it's real easy to spot some of this plagiarism. You got kids that can't string together two, you know, coherent sentences, and now they're using spot on perfect English. Some of them using British English spelling, that's usually a good (laughs) <laughs> quick, quick, quick! Tip off. Well, I guess Johnny uh, plagiarized here. You know, unless he just happens to be British and I wasn't aware of it. But, uh <laughs> well,
0: I, I have to go back to when, when I taught foreign language online because I was asked to be, I guess, more than or not really a teacher, but a grader. That, that's how it resulted. I, you know, I didn't present any material, but these um, synchronous online classes, they. The machine graded the objective items. And then the, the little box where people had to write things, uh, that was my responsibility. And then the recordings, uh, I'd have to grade also. So I did both of these. And there was a lack of alignment, I'm talking for every student, where um, you know the students were getting really high grades on the objective, because they're pretty much doing it on their own. Uh, and then they can't say anything. You know, they're, they're, they're speaking, ability. they're not learning the language at all. But then here's the, the strange part. Remarkably, their writing is like a, maybe a 20-year-old German, you know, that, that good. <laughs> um, and something's not lining up when, when they can't get through a sentence, but they they turn in this text. Um, and, and for me, obviously, I would just copy it and paste it into Google and see exactly where they got it, some German site, and send it back to them and um, but that, that happened all the time. And, and so I think the pressure to cheat, um, uh, is there it's inherent in, in, in digital
1: education. It has to be. And you know, in the classroom, it's not like cheating can't happen, but it just makes it so much easier to do it when the kid's at home. And again, I want to make it clear. I don't think all my kids are cheating. The ones that are at home, but you can't tell me some of them are not cheating. And so you know one of the things that we talked about in the spring when we first got sent home was that we had to work under the assumption that this was going to be illegitimate that the grade at the end of the class is going to be illegitimate whatever success they they received from the class is going to be illegitimate because we couldn't take grades and we couldn't there was a lot of things we couldn't do under the auspices that the kids were on the fine balance of, you know, just dealing with the COVID and, and a a little bit has carried on this year, even though we're in person, you know, a lot of us are in person and, and, um, you know, most of the students are in school. There's still a little bit of that kind of a little bit of a hangover from the spring that exists. So it's, it's hard to talk about this in definitive terms, only because we have not completed the story yet. We don't know what's going to happen. But um, I think there could be some consequences from this and, and not necessarily good consequences.
0: Well, if you picture how much screen time uh, that students are getting, I mean, we used to think that students spent a lot of time on their computers and then on their phones. But really, there's there's no break anymore. If a student is online, they're, um, they're maybe at school or on their computer during school. Some can do it on their phone now, which is kind of weird to picture them right. staring at the phone during class, but they can do that. Uh, it just means that the image of them um, is horizontal rather than vertical. <laughs> uh, that's about the only difference. Um, but they're using that you know, to communicate w- with their friends. I don't think they send email anymore. They, they've kind of moved past that. There are other types of messaging, but the, but they're gaming on that same device. So that screen represents a lot of things and a lot of time. And potentially they're, they're on it until they go to bed. You know, they come out to eat, maybe, um, and, and that's it. So I, I would say that that's going to have some long-term ramifications. Uh, and, and I guess they call it zoom fatigue
1: as they're, they're spending a lot of time doing zoom as well. I think my students feel it. I mean, I think they even recognize that this is too much, even though they might be inclined to do it more than the average bear. I think for a lot of them, I think this is too much. And they've said as much to me from time to time in class, you know, sick and tired of being on zoom, I'm sick and tired of being on the computer. You know, before their excessive time on their phone was one by choice and usually doing something a lot more fun than, you know, than dialing into a class. But I think just the cumulative effect of one, what they want to do in their free time, but then two, what they have to do as far as classes or assignments or things of that nature, I think they're getting worn down and i think that part explains what's happening with our kiddos in class and what's happening in the school can you imagine now we have a total 3000 kids in our school okay i mean as far as like total enrollment and i would say about 70% of the kiddos are in person okay now you would think i'm not well, first of all it should be made clear i am not a math person so i cannot do math but whatever 70% of 3000 is you would think that that would be enough to have a still a fairly raucous environment. You know, being a high school teacher has always been kind of a, a, um, of a loud environment. And it's not now it's not, the kids are not talking. The kids are just walking and it's like a kind of a muted conversation, if any conversation. And it's something that we've noticed over the last couple of months, you know, since coming back from uh, Christmas break, the kids are, they just seem worn out. I don't know. Well, it sounds like just wearing a mask
0: uh, doesn't lend itself to having lively conversations in the hallways or in, in class. Right. There's something about that. And, you know, maybe their social distancing, you'd think they would be so that it all fits. But that would have some psychological effects. And, and I think you're right. It's cumulative. And really, they've been doing this for how long now? You know, right? It's been been quite a while. Um, what about reading on a screen? We've talked about that offline a little bit. I mean, yeah. you you teach history. History you've called it a reading subject, and but when you say that, you're probably thinking they have a book and they open the page and read, um, right? Uh, are your students reading physical books uh, for your class or, or is there an online version? What, what do they do most often right
1: now? Well, the students do have their own textbook that's been checked out to them. Uh, even the kids at home have a physical book. I would imagine that the vast majority of kids uh, use their physical book there is there is an online version but to my knowledge the vast majority of my kids do not use it but there's two kinds of reading you know you have the reading where you just go from word to word to word till you get to the period and then you're done and then there's reading and thinking at the same time and i think and you know we've talked about this there are studies out there that show that the more time kids spend online the more skimming they do, they're not actually reading, but they're skimming. And it just exacerbates a kind of a general inherent unwillingness to read large swaths of textbook. And so you combine that with the fact that they're now not even doing it in a compulsory nature. They're just now just skimming through it, you know, Anytime a kid comes up to me and says, "Mr. Miller, I read the whole thing and I just didn't understand a thing I read," well, I would suggest that you hadn't read it. You know, assuming you can read the Queen's English, you know, you should be able to read a paragraph and figure out, you know, what it said. But what's happening is that they're just going from word to word, and they're not really processing what they're reading, and it's causing problems. It causes problems from from. From my class perspective, I know from other class, history teachers' perspective. Well, there's a lot of
0: activities where a student has to answer a specific question in the text. And, and that's kind of what you would call guided reading, I guess. Uh, but maybe right. that, that guiding is, is not serving the students as readers. Because, you know, if you have it online, you're going to do a little bit. You're going to hit control F and do a find and, and get to that. And put the, the whole goal is to put the answer in the box. Um, right. And by doing that, all of the text in between, they're not getting. And maybe that's, that's what's happening here as our students are uh, skipping in, in between. And they're really trying to just
1: answer the, the question uh, to move on. I think the big uh, moment will be, assuming next year we come back and there is no remote and there is, for all intent and purpose, a kind of a normal situation. It will be interesting to see how the students adjust to that. Now, part of me, can, and part of me is concerned that some that some teachers have now done the deep dive into technology and they won't step off from that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the students can recover from this time period that we've gone through now for the last year, because we're about there. It was about this time last year, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. And yeah, spring break yeah. is when everything went to hell in a handbasket. So,
0: well, I, I imagine it's it's not nearly as fun teaching right now because of all this. But um, if we get back to the screen and, and uh, digital learning, um, there are also schools that are fully online uh, by right. choice. You know, not not, mm-hmm. not be, because of this, but they would have been online anyway. Mm-hmm. And, um, the argument is that eventually that that's going to take over. It's going to get a bigger share uh, of students. And I wonder you mentioned teachers, but I think students are getting a taste for it too. Um, a student, you know, a lot of going to school is kind of a hassle for kids. They have to get up, get in the car, get dressed, go out there, and now they they just uh, put on their pajamas or whatever and, and turn on the Zoom, um, pretty easy. Um, so you may have them having a little bit of withdrawal from, from the digital also.
1: I don't, I haven't had these conversations with kids who are remote because I only talk to them in the course of the class. And so there's no kind of private discussion about anything, but the kids who are quarantined who like go off like 10 or 14 days to feel, you know, to feel shame in their house for being in contact with somebody and they come back and they said, Oh God, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad, you know, I hate, you know, being at home. I hate looking at the screen. And so I think from their point of view, um, you know, there's a, there's a relief when they get to come back to school. Now the remote kids, I think you're right. I I think it could, it's going to be a shock to the system. I believe so.
0: Well, so much of what happens in a classroom is interaction between students. Um, and there's a, a social drama that happens when they walk in the door and leaves at the when they leave at the end of the day, um, and that's probably largely been gone. I mean, I'm sure they're they're c- uh, having conversations online, but a lot of the things in school are learning um, how to sit in a classroom and how to be in groups, and probably we're we're unlearning some pretty good
1: habits um, right now. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of studies done and I know in, um, in Germany, uh, there's, uh, I think, um, Dietzeit, uh, kind of, a. Uh, do you say that's a fairly high tone newspaper in Germany? Uh, I think so. Some Germans yes. would probably disagree.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it is. Um, I'm interested to hear what you say about Dietzeit.
1: Well, Dietzeit is, had i think it's decided it's had a series of articles on the psychological impact on students and on kids not necessarily as students but as children uh with the lockdown and of course their lockdown has been a little bit more serious than our lockdowns have been you know we have a lockdown but you know people are so out and about as you know to a certain degree but there they've shut everything down and the question is in you have a lot of child psychologists you have a lot of a lot of educational experts that have real concerns about long-term effects of this time period. And we seem to have a remarkably uncurious press corps. And I don't see the same kind of reflection with American news, you know, and I don't mean to be um, what well, they only did things the way they do in Europe. You know, I'm not, I'm not that I'm not that guy as it were, but that being said, you just don't see it as much here in the United States, that kind of reflection. And I don't know if that, of course, I'm not taking in all news, like it could be happening in the US, but I came across it in in Germany.
0: Didn't you post on a message, not a message board, what some type of social media and have an argument or something with the Germans recently? Um, Do you recall that? And because it it seems to me that it had to do with. um, Are you drunk? I'm not. No, you put, you posted (laughs) something or you had some argument with Germans on technology and you disagreed with about all of them.
1: Do you recall that? You know what that was? God bless it. (laughs) It was on, well, no, it was on LinkedIn. I mean, someone, you know, God, I hate social and I hate this stuff. That's the only thing I'm on that could be considered social media. But they had, you know, someone said about how why can't German schools get more digitized? I said, That's right. Yeah. So are we sure that are we sure that's something we want? You know, I'm not sure, you know. And I'm reminded of the first time I interviewed for a job as a teacher. Okay. It was in Maryland. What year was that? 96. Okay. Okay. In 96, I'm interviewing for a job. In Maryland actually the county where I went to high school okay so I have dreams of returning to my alma mater as a teacher you know all these things welcome back and yeah welcome back Carter (laughs) hey Mr. Carter (laughs) Um, so I'm sitting here talking to this guy and he says so why do you want to work uh, with Carroll County you know which is the county in Maryland and I had this. To, <laughs> to keep in mind, I'm like 24, something like 23, something like that. Uh, no, I had to be a little bit older because it was after I graduated college. But um, I don't know. I just had this idea that that you know, it was all about technology and new technology. And I said, "Wow, you know, I hear Maryland schools are on the cutting edge of technology and you know, <laughs> technological advances." <What laughs> you said, oh "Yes, yeah, that's what I said." Because I didn't, I didn't know crap, you know. <laughs> but um, the guy just kind of looked at me and said, "Well." Some say cutting edge. I say bleeding edge. And it was at that moment. It was a come to Jesus moment. You didn't get the job, right? Well, no, of course I didn't get the job. I didn't deserve the job. I would have have thrown me out, you know. Get get out of here, Yahoo. What the hell are you talking about? You know, but um, that's when I realized I was trying to bluff my way through this. I was trying to tell the interviewer what they wanted to hear and I got kicked out and I damn well should have gotten kicked out. And I remember you once said that the best way to get a job is to act like you don't want it. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like a purposeful kind of a thing, but you cannot sit there and come across so desperate that you're going to make a stupid comment. Like, I really like the fact that you're on the cutting edge of technology. And I just didn't understand, you know, I understood later, but not then. Now, that was a long
0: time ago. and and I mean, they hadn't had computers and and so forth. It was becoming more regular. I mean, at that right, point, people were there was an email system where teachers were communicating, and probably the grades were online. Um, and so you had to deal with the hovering parents every second. Um, but that that's about it. So it was kind of in its infancy, even.
1: Well, the first job I had didn't have any of that stuff. We had a MS DOS grade book that was just ours. You know, there was no electronic access to grades yet. Okay, it was email, but so do you have a a, a physical
0: grade book now? <laughs> I do. I do. Um, don't don't you enter them online? Isn't that
1: the way it works? I enter them online because I have to. But I also keep them in a physical grade book. And you know what's interesting is we'll sit there and have these conversations about how administration wants grades for a particular kid, but they don't have access to the grade book anymore digitally because it's in some sort of other sphere. How do you expect teachers to have the grades? Well, I have mine right here because I have a blanking grade book in front of me, an actual grade book with pages and spirals and Spaces.
0: You're probably the Sorry. only person in your whole building who has, has that
1: grade book, am I right? That's fine. I okay. Remember what John Wayne said. What was that? One man in the right makes a majority. I'm holding on to the grade book. Uh, and so I might as well. Um, and maybe you can at fax At this point, sure.
0: Well, you could you could send faxes to parents, you know, if you have to communicate <laughs> with them. <laughs> you don't need a computer at all, you ought to fax me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you imagine trying to send a fax? Uh, what's your fax number, uh, Mrs. Uh, Johnson? What? Fax what? I'm just going to make a photocopy of this uh, paper, and I'm going to hand it to you. Well, I'm not that backwards, but pretty backwards. Um,
0: I think we're going to probably come back to this topic a few times, and um...
1: so we don't need to exhaust it now.
0: No, we'll end up exhausting each other. But
1: um, And the people trying to listen. Yeah,
0: we, we should do a, a a little experiment next time where um, you try to tout the benefits of technology, kind of like that job interview, and it would be really funny because uh, <laughs> you wouldn't know what you're talking about a lot of it. Um, and, well, there's people say, I, I don't know what I'm talking about now, so who knows? But You'd probably reference MySpace or something,
1: you know? Or
0: uh, ask Jeeves, who knows?
1: <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, so between now and then, I'll just research all the uh, the 90s era uh, <laughs> computer terminology. I'll just sprinkle them into my conversation, kind of provide a little color. I so. like that.
0: Well, uh, I'm going to hit pause or stop or whatever, and then we'll start saying really funny stuff like we always do. So yes. Say goodbye, your Miller. Goodbye here, Dr. Burgess. All right, goodbye. Bourgeois. Bourgeois. That's it.